Hello everybody and welcome to the Artist Current Podcast. My name is Tabitha Nagy, I'm your host and for today's episode I talked to Judith Neunhäuserer, a multimedia and installation artist based here in Munich, about her relationship to science, religion and how it impacts her art. Let's get right in and have fun with the episode. Hello everybody, I'm here today at the studio of Judith Neunhäuserer. Uh, she's a wonderful, I would say, video and installation artist who is combining science in the sense of yeah, nature and sciences and art. Hello, how are you? Thank you for inviting me to your studio. Hi Tabitha, mm -hmm. thanks for the invitation to participate in your podcast and for coming. I'm good, I would say. I'm getting used to the cold outside and trying to make the best out of it, which means staying inside and working hard. <laughs> ah, that's good. Yeah, do you agree with me putting you as an installation and video artist, kind of? Sure. I suppose you have been on my website and saw the works I produced in the last few years and there you definitely could say that I'm an installation artist. But I don't limit myself to certain media. As you also said in the introduction, I am very much content-based in my work and that means that I choose the medium according to the, let's say, topic or question I want mm -hmm. to deal with. Yeah. For example, I also published a book because that seemed to me the most fitting way of expression. Yes, and I also saw on your website that you went to Antarctica for one of your projects. Yeah. <laughs> it seems so exciting to me. How was it? Yes, I'm not surprised that this kind of one of the first questions <laughs> that was almost Three years ago, I had the opportunity to travel to the German research station Neumeyer 3, is it called? It's at the coast of the Antarctic continent on the shelf ice at the opposite of Cape Town, more or less. And I spent there uh, three weeks with the scientists. I observed them in doing their research. And uh, after some time, I also started to produce some imagery by myself and to conduct some interviews with them, etc. So it was very productive the two years, three years since then. I could draw a lot of the all the material I collected there. and. Also, personally, it was, as you were suggesting, a quite special experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've never been in a place like that. And if I won't return there, which I actually really hope it could be possible sometime, but if I won't, it's amazing and it's very hard to describe. How did it feel like when you first arrived in the Antarctica? We took this, it's called Illusion, this huge sort of military airplane from Cape Town to this Russian airport-like station and uh, I remember <laughs> when I left the plane so already in the plane you had to change the clothes so there is this point where the pilot says please now get dressed for Antarctica and you have to put on kind of a skiing overall and then I remember when I went when I left the airplane 
the first thing was that I felt this extremely strong wind and my hat was blown off my head. And yeah, it was super bright. So you always have to use sun cream and sunglasses because the, when there is the sun and no cloud on the sky, there, the surface is completely white, of course, and it uh, reflects all the light and it shines very brightly in your eyes. And also you have to, definitely you have to put on, um, how do you say, sun cream all the time mm -hmm. otherwise you will get a sunburned sunburned <laughs> sunburn. and especially uh, like on this part of the nose uh, from underneath and under your chin because it comes from below <laughs> oh you don't think about that at first yes. <laughs> and what was it like to spend these three weeks with these scientists did it Did you live with them in like close quarters or what is the situation there? How do you live there for three weeks? I think it depends on the station you're in. As I said, I was at the German station and this is this one house. It's a house on, on tilts or like it's a lifted above the ground. Yeah, it's only this, the closest neighbors are 200 kilometers away. It's the South African station. You cannot really choose where to live. So I had this bed in a, in a shared room with three other women. I, so, of course, I lived in very close proximity with all the scientists and I was the only artist on the station and, in general, the only, let's say, cultural worker. There were not only scientists, but also mechanics and electrical engineers and also a guy who took care of the, like, software engineer. He took care of the satellite, internet, and the network, computer stuff. Mm -hmm. And a cook, of course, there was a cook as well. Yeah. What did you learn there or how did it influence your work this day? First of all, I learned a lot about their practice. So I used to say I participated, I worked according to this anthropological method of participant observation. As I said, I did these interviews and then I watched them in doing their measurements mainly. So it's not... I think what or what I learned is that the research they are doing there is not very exciting one. I mean, the projects, yes, but then the stations in Antarctica are there also to just collect data, which means that on a daily routine you have to always repeat your actions and, and, and collect your data. And that is very important to get then a long-term, for example, database and information about the weather, which means then in the end you have a database for climate and for climate change and so on. So I watched them and I learned about this sort of routine in scientific processes. I got to know the landscape. I learned, of course, also about the personalities of the different people. I got some friends. But about my work, I applied to the project proposal already before getting the scholarship and it wasn't the first time that I was dealing with the question of um, knowledge production and scientific daily routine and work but I'm very much interested already since my studies in the art academy in rituals or in the way the sciences formulate their world models or their information, their knowledge, how they construct it and especially how this looks like, also maybe how it sounds and so on. So in the aesthetic aspect of scientific work, I would say. And what strikes me a lot about it is that I think I can say it without many doubts and without many people who wouldn't agree that I have this strong feeling that the natural scientists provide the dominant world model for today. And 
before in history it might have been at least in the western world the church or religion christian religion and i'm very interested in the process from like the shift from the one system of knowledge production to the other or maybe also how there still are parallels in it or how the transition was made if there were any fights or even if the one system tried to get along with the other and so on. How through knowledge production the image, our image of the world is formed? Yes. Could you say that? Yeah. When was, like, when did this interest start for you? This is a very good question, I think, and I can locate different points. Very personal also in my biography, I would say. First of all, I think it was important, or it still is important, that I was raised from my parents and uh, the whole village where I grew up. It's super Catholic, so my parents very uh, regularly go to the church and not only visit this church service, but they also actively participate in the choir and so on. Mm-hmm. So I know this well, this system, or just very simple Christian Catholic religion. But then, of course, it's always, I think, as long as you don't um, meet another belief system or um, practice, that you are not confronted with your own that much. So when you get out, then you realize how you're shaped by your own where you grew up and so on. So I went for Erasmus to Istanbul and I was living in Turkey. And even though Istanbul is supposed to be the most Western and European city of of whole Turkey, still I felt it still a lot of different daily life. For example, they did not have Christmas and then they called for prayer five times a day and so on. I just felt the influence of of Islam and Muslim religion a lot and I took a class in the university there which was called cultural studies and I was intrigued by the whole comparison also of yeah of ways of thinking and back then here in Munich I started another study in the LMU university and I also finished that parallel to my diploma in the in sculpture and the art academy and it was religious studies and so that helped me in learning about yeah the religions and the belief systems and the symbol systems and then i took classes where we talked about how maybe in our modern times religion diminishes and science is gaining power or not or how this transformation is going to be and the last thing about how the interest started for the sciences is also then that i had a quite a big circle of physicists as a friends because as i said i come from a, a tiny village and i didn't go to munich with friends just on my own I mean, it's not that far, but still. And so and the first person I got in touch with when I came here was Christoph, my friend who is from the same village and had come to Munich one year before and he studied physics. And I got to know all his friends and we were hanging out mm-hmm. and discussing a lot about who is right. Do you think there is somebody who is right? <laughs> That's the question. In a philosophical way, no, but... I do believe in facts and in probability, let's put it like this. Nowadays, I think it's a time where you have to be very sensitive about denying truth. Certain things are 
facts which cannot be denied, but then how to interpret the facts and why some facts are emphasized more than others and so on. There we got go into politics and into philosophical debates, into values also. Mm. And there maybe is no truth. With scientists, with these discussions, there, did you have the feeling like that they have a sense of being unfailable in a way? Yes, actually, and that was provoking me a lot. And that is then why I started to work on it also in an artistic way. Mm -hmm. um, and I think they learned it also in a way in class, or I mean in, the, in their studies at the TU München, that sort of sometimes they were talking as if they would have or they would be, how do you say, in the Königs discipline. They have the highest authority on yes. everything. Yeah, or at least on the structure of the world and that the natural world is also the foremost thing that matters. Mm -hmm. It's also mm. interesting that they think that way because when you look into sciences, also natural sciences historically, There are always changes, there are always new discoveries and something you know now in 10 or 20 years might be considered totally false and actually discover something completely new. Sure, <laughs> sure. I mean, they are not also my friends and of course also the history of science and the philosophy of science, they reflect these things. And But this principle of falsification is integrated into the whole way science works and this is also the argument for the superiority of this science system because to say we have integrated into our system the principle of falsification and that makes us sort of immune because we have the structure that we accept that we can and shall be overcome and this in a way is a good point I also think But, and in our discussions, then my friends or the people I got to know also agree, and I would say this is sort of the status quo in a common way of talking about it, but there are only certain regions of life and the world where science can make their claims. When you studied religious studies and this whole approach comes from religion and analyzing different belief systems, did you also work on religion or these religious belief systems? When I was still studying, I tried a lot of different, not only media, but also topics I worked on. And there I made some autobiographical works and worked um, also on my Catholic upbringing, etc. But since then, religion never was a direct content of my work, I would say. But as I As I studied religious studies, I worked with this approach to religion as a part of a culture and I'm very aware that my whole perspective on the world is influenced a lot by this culture and I think in any work this, of course, is in the background. I bring it with me. And now my super curious question, because as I said in the beginning, We are in Judith's studio right now and it has actually three stories. It's super cool. And when I walked in, I immediately was drawn to these casts of dinosaur footprints, I guess, <laughs> and that are here in the studio. And I want to ask what, what is it about these casts? What are they? Um, I'm happy that you mentioned them. 
<laughs> I like them a lot too and these are my most recent works. I made them in the beginning of the year. They actually should be sort of dinosaur prints, footprints, but can also be other evolutionary remnants and fossil-like traces of some monsters. I, let's say, got inspired, got intrigued by a short, no, not so short, by a, a novel of H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs> and here already we get back to mythology and science because Lovecraft is a super interesting author when it comes to this combination of religion and science because, of course, it's different. He claims not to be a scientist at all, but in the story I'm referring to, it's called uh, At the Mountains of Madness. It's from 1936, and it talks about this Antarctic expedition. So there is this expedition going to the Antarctic continent, and I don't remember what they actually want to find, but I suppose they also want to collect data or... Just explore, just, basically. Just explore, maybe. True. That was still the story where... People were going around just to explore. Mm, just to look what the hell is there. <laughs> Maybe to uh, colonize a little bit. Underneath the snow, so under the layer of ice, they find these fossils, these traces. And they go on and found a, find an underground city and some living creatures who mm -hmm. had made this, had left these imprints on the stone underneath the ice. In Lovecraft's story and in his whole mythology, because he's famous to have developed his own sort of personal mythology, it's called the Cthulhu mythos, mm -hmm. and he's always referring and pointing to this mythology throughout his whole work, so not only in this novella. According to him, this uh, Antarctic creatures the expedition finds are the old ones, the first beings who came from space and colonized the world. So he tries to rewrite the evolutionary history of the planet and says, oh no, not uh, just Homo sapiens um, spread across the, uh, across the globe, but um, there were some... Uh, aliens mm -hmm. who have been there before and who are not interested at all uh, interested at all in humans and retreated themselves into the Antarctic never mm -hmm. to be found again no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, in the story spoiler they eat the scientists up <laughs> no. so it's also a combination of the science and fiction and how did you make these so they are not cast I get from that Right? So what are they actually? How did you make them? These are real stone objects. Mm -hmm. And with these objects, but also with former works, I kind of imitate real scientific like objects which real science um, draws information of. I'm super interested in these objects, in a way containers of knowledge, mm -hmm. or maybe not containers because, of course, also the science lays in them or constructs out of them the knowledge. It's not that there is a neutral knowledge they are extracting. But however, I think there can be super erotic. Yes, so about these objects. These are real stone objects with these fossils, imprints I made into them. To your question how that was really made, I modeled the feet mm -hmm. of these old ones, of these monsters, of these aliens by myself in clay. And then I pressed them into fluid plaster. 
a one-to-one size, so I already modeled them in this 30 centimeters size. I pressed them into it, then I reworked the hard blast a little bit. I made with the technique of photogrammetry, like with around 50 digital photographs, which then by a software were calculated into a 3D model. So I had this digital file and then I worked together in cooperation with a stone sculpture. And he has this robot, this mill machine, CNC mill. And the robot milled mm. the traces into the stone. And the stone I got from northern Bavaria. It's a Steinbruch close to Ingolstadt. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. also interesting because close to there, I think there are also fossils, right? True, yes. True. Yeah, that's a huge, um, for the listeners who are not familiar with the Bavarian archaeology spots, there's a spot where you can find fossils and you can actually do day trips there and start yeah, carefully removing stone and hope to find something. <laughs> yeah, cool. I'm also not so familiar with this story, but um, where I come from, from the Dolomites, mm-hmm. these mountains in Italy. It's also a huge spot for fossil. And when I was in the school, we went to look for some, and mm-hmm. almost everybody found also some megalodons, like the snail-shaped mm-hmm. fossils. I shortly have to mention it because I find it super poetic. The Dolomites are said to be, or are, the coral reefs of the former Mediterranean. I love this idea. Yeah, to imagine everything. I mean, like, of course, today it looks really different, but like imagining huge coral reefs and giants swimming across everything. It's really beautiful, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Do you have anything coming up around now or the next couple of weeks, months, like exhibitions, publications, anything? (laughs) Actually, yes. I'm... Working on my first catalog, mm-hmm. um, which also will be more an artist book. It will ha- be a bit like an encyclopedia, featuring, of course, texts I chose. All the images are mine, and all the texts are found footage from people and literature I admire, and which was important to me and is important to me and to my work, for my work. And I'm working together with Julie Enmore. She's a Paris-based graphic designer and it will be published in the beginning of next year in the Textem publishing house in Hamburg. At the moment I'm still editing the text. This is the the thing I'm doing these days on the computer. And in November I will be in London for a residency for four weeks. I will go to some archives and to some natural collections to have a look at the Arctic and Antarctic collections, like the objects and photographs from the former expeditions. And also I will go to Cambridge. They have the British Antarctic Survey there. I might meet some people who work there because next year a new expedition is coming up. Do you already have your three artists prepared that you want to recommend? Sure. First of all, I would like to recommend Anne Christiane Christiansen. I got to know her under the name of Stine, and I just met her once (laughs) since now last week. She's um, new in Munich. She arrived here two weeks ago. Uh, A common friend, Lily, introduced us because Stine had been participating in this Arctic Circle artist residency where I will be next year on the on the ship sailing the arctic sea and that's why we met and yeah 
she's new in the city might be interesting mm -hmm. to meet her and then the second one is my good very good friend Nina Traub she's from Tel Aviv and living in Tel Aviv she's choreographer and dancer and also she draws and does multi multimedia installations or she designs the sets for her dance pieces and I met her last year in Paris and yeah it might be also good for her good distraction because I think in Israel they are having the lockdown so and of course she's a, an amazing artist and then I would like to recommend Thomas Silberhorn he studied with me in the Klasse Huba and he also has his studio here in the Domak Ateliers I appreciate his work a lot it's it's very funny and also surprising and outstanding to me I like it a lot when in an art exhibition, you also go out with a better humor than you enter. It's very rare. Thank you for these suggestions and for inviting me to your wonderful studio. And it was very nice talking to you. <laughs> Thanks for coming. Yeah. Bye. Bye bye. That was everything for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. As always, you can see works by the artist by Judith on our Instagram page and of course on her own website and her Instagram page. I linked all of these in the description of this episode so you can go there and check it out and see more of her work. Yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did, you can hit that follow or subscribe or whatever this button is called in the app you're using to listen to this podcast and let's meet again next week for the next episode.